Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you advice and insight that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find information about the Creative Writers Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writers Tool Belt and that it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 123 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt. This episode is a conversation with Sarah Ray Warner, a creative professional who combines a portfolio of work including writing, web design, mentoring, podcasting and audio drama production. You might be one of the tens of thousands of people who listen to Sarah's new audio drama Girl in Space which started to critical acclaim back in September 2017. In my own news I've been busy with a whole bunch of stuff. Now, I hate telling you that I've been busy because I can imagine quite a few of you rolling your eyes and saying something like, you think you've been busy? You haven't been as busy as me or something similar. But it has been all go here. I'm progressing with the editing of my sci-fi novel somewhat slowly in more recent weeks, but we're getting there. And I am now also into my annual efforts to assist my son with the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival. Those of you who have listened to a few years of the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast may have heard me refer to this in the past about this time of year. So in Canterbury in England, uh, we have the Canterbury Shakespeare Festival runs from late July to mid-August. If you come to one of our productions, perhaps of Much Ado About Nothing or The Tempest, the distracted looking middle-aged guy on the ticket desk is probably me. But hey, they're great shows. So if you live near Canterbury, you enjoy the idea of coming and seeing some Shakespeare out in the park, out in an open space over the summer, do come along. Tickets and information from CanterburyShakespeare.com. So back to this episode. And today I am delighted to have a returning guest, my friend Sarah Ray Warner. I've already told you a little bit about some of the activities that Sarah gets involved with. And in this episode, she talks about the whole portfolio of her work and gives us some tips on starting your own audio drama, as well as insights on marketing for writers, time management, monetizing your output. And as the title of this podcast suggests, facing the fear and finishing the job. I really enjoyed talking to Sarah. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation and you find it useful. Here it is. So Sarah, it's a real pleasure to have you on the Creative Writers Tool Belt again. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. I'm sure we're going to touch on a lot of different things, but yeah, welcome. Welcome back, in fact. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I am I, I am so honored to be on your show again. This is such a delight. <laughs> the feeling is mutual. So great. It's great to have you back. And um, obviously some people listening to this won't have heard you on my show before. They may not have even heard of you or, or, or what you do. So I'd like to start by just asking you if you could give us a little bit of an overview of the different activities that, that you do, that how you think of yourself as a creative person and the kind of things you get involved in. Of course. Um, well, gosh, so uh, I, I, I've actually thought a lot about what I want to call myself because, you know, as, as a writer and as a creative person, names are so important and what we what we call ourselves, and what we choose to call ourselves can have a, a great impact on what it is we end up doing, which is a little scary, but also I think quite true. And so I, I waffled a lot about what I would call myself. And so I ended up calling myself a creative professional and I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to stick with that. But okay. for now, it seems to work work. Um, so I have two podcasts. I have the Right Now podcast, and then I have, and that one is nonfiction, and I talk about writing and uh, different inspirational things that, uh, you know, we talk about what to do when you hit writer's block. I think very similar to uh, a bit what you what you do on this yeah, show. Sure. 
And then uh, with Girl in Space, that's an audio drama. And so it's a fictional podcast. And I know those of you in the UK, you're used to this. But for us Americans, it's like, what? Fiction on the radio? <laughs> um, so we're like, this is a new thing we've discovered. But no, uh, you you guys have been doing it for, for years and years and years Absolutely, and years. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we're finally getting into that. Um, but Girl in Space is the story of a, a girl in space. It's sci-fi. And uh, there's, there's a lovely cast of characters. And they run around drinking coffee and making jokes and there's lasers and, and all this fun fun stuff so so yeah so that's that's part of what I do uh, the other part of what I do is I, I got into all of this because I'm a writer and so my one show talks about writing the other show showcases my writing and um, and, and I spend the rest of my time writing uh, I do website copy so I do technical writing I do creative writing for myself and my shows I write poetry I ghost write books I just do all sorts of uh, writing based things I also mentor other writers and and sort of uh, work with them to help them. Uh, I was in marketing for 10 years. And so uh, I help a lot of writers um, with the marketing side of things. I'm not currently charging for any of this, which maybe I should. I don't know. Like everything I do is free. So <laughs> maybe I should think about like charging for some of this at some point uh, and make, make a living doing that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's fun. Every day I do something different. Oh, and I also build websites, which right now is the main source of my income. So and that has a creative bent to it as well mm. with the with the design and the the UX and all of that stuff that goes into uh, creating a website. You, you probably wanted something a lot shorter for my my brief introduction, but that's that's kind of it. I, I to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting it to be much shorter, <laughs> <laughs> knowing what I know of what you do. But uh, it's interesting that I like your comments on websites and the, and developing websites. Kind of lead into the next thing that I wanted to ask you about because on your website you talk about finding your true calling in using the concepts of creativity and technology to nurture, teach, and mentor others. Uh, and I find it quite interesting that it's obvious that this portfolio of work that you do, that it binds creativity and technology together, mm -hmm. but you've also got teaching and helping and mentoring. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? How did you bring all of those things together? What a great question. It, it basically, okay, the, the, the disappointing answer is it's probably just because I like all of those things and I wanted to find a way to bring them all together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, know, at least so it's you, honest. That's fair. Enough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the little bit of a longer answer is, you know, I've just always been. Uh, um, I feel like there's some sort of word for it now. I don't know if it's polymath or or uh, mm. multi-passionate or you know whatever the buzzword is right now. Um, I like everything. I like uh, left side of the brain stuff. I like right side of the brain stuff. So I like the math and the science, but I also like the creative. And and I feel like there's a, a disconnect between the two because you think of the math and science stuff is being binary of all ones and zeros of yes. truth and untruth. Whereas when you get into the creative stuff, there's a little bit more of a gray area. You know, there's a little bit more of a possibility. Uh, what am I thinking about? Like factorials of possibility. And so things sort of spiral out from there. And, and so we think about them as two very different things. But what I, what I like to do is apply the binary to the creative and the infinite to the uh, to the, to the more math and science stuff. Mm. So when, when I talk about technology, you think like, how can I do something that is, you know, unique and different? And you do that by adding creativity to it. And when you look at the creative side, you say, how do I create something different here? And so you throw in a little bit of the binary, the technology, mm. 
Um, and so one of the first novels I ever wrote, I was in, I want to say seventh grade, and I had, um, <laughs> we, we had had a, a computer donated to us because we were very poor growing up, and my dad was a pastor, and so we got a lot of people donating things to us because um, they were just very kind and generous. And so we got an Apple Classic 2, which was one of, it was just an early Macintosh computer, and uh, I, I decided that I wanted to embed some technological files and stuff into my novel because I I wanted to have like sound effects and background sounds in the novel. Mm. And so I, I learned about hyperlinking and like, wow. for me, this was a big deal. And I didn't know it was hyperlinking at the time. Um, but I learned how to like record and embed things in the novel I was writing within whatever word processor I was using. And so I don't know, I think there's, there's a lot of really rich possibility in what we can do with the technological and the creative mm. um, and how we can enrich both sides of, of those there. So the other thing I wanted to just kind of explore within that context, I mean, we could talk about just this technology and creativity combination for ages, but I want to explore yes. as well the fact that you talk about nurturing, teaching and mentoring others. And I wondered if you could mm -hmm. just expand a little bit on how and why this dynamic of encouraging people appeals to you because it I, my sense is that that you do want to help people and you do have an instinct to support and help and encourage others so can you tell us a little bit about that I, I think that uh, you know a lot of this comes from the fact that um, my dad was a well is a pastor he's still living and we always learned growing up that the first thing that you always do is help other people, right? We are mm -hmm. we're here on this earth to help and serve others and so you know that's that's just very deeply ingrained in me. And so I think that's one of the first things I always look for is in any situation, how can I sure. help? And so uh, that, that's kind of where that comes from. And I, and I think it's honestly just a good way to live your life because I've noticed that the more I give, uh, the richer my own life is, you know, yeah. the more you get, you know, the more you give, the more you get, the more you learn, the more you connect with people, the more you learn empathy, and the more you cultivate those skills, um, which are a lot of writers don't think of that as crucial. But connecting with other people is one of the most crucial skills a writer can have. So I, I do, Absolutely, I do encourage yeah. that. Yeah. The other thing is, is uh, I, I just love, I love teaching. I love talking. Um, I love sitting down with people and listening. And most of all, I love solving problems. Uh, that's one okay. of life's great joys for me is um, how can I solve a problem? And often the problem is uh, a problem of education, which I, if I can help, then I would love to. It's like, okay, I've learned all this stuff. You know, it's not going to do any good just bouncing around in my brain. Why don't I just <laughs> share this with people, right? And so um, so that's really why I started the Right Now podcast. Um, it was, you know, I've learned all this stuff about writing and like I'm applying it in my own writing, but there's just a more overt way to share this. And that is through uh, through teaching. And uh, yeah, and, and with mentoring, I'm very much... Uh, I'm very passionate about, uh, what do you call it? Uh, paying it forward, I think is, mm. is the, is the, and, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't be where I am now if so many people had not very lovingly invested time and energy into helping me get where I am today. Yeah. And the absolute best way that I can see of repaying them is to pay it forward to somebody else. And yeah. so especially uh, women, a lot of my mentors were women and, and you know, I've been in the tech field for so long. Um, and it, so it's, it's very much in my heart to, uh, to sort of 
pass it along and say, you know what, hey, uh, I'm going to work with you on this. I'm going to make sure your website launches and it looks fantastic. And they say, how can I pay you back? And I just say, pay it forward one day. I want you to mentor someone in the same way that I've mm. mentored you. I mm. want you to keep this going. So that's really important to me too. There's one um, particular thing that just strikes me as well from what you've said that, that I want to pick up on. So not all writers, but some writers I think would share your desire to uh, to serve others you've talked about how serving others is is important and i think that that can be an element for some people and when we look at uh, your right now podcast it's kind of easy to see how you are serving others but i wondered if you could talk just for a moment around you could you actually serve others by entertaining them as well and mm. i think what you do is a great example of this so right now podcast serves others in a very obvious way girl in space does that serve others i would argue it does i would argue this is part of your service to others i mean would you agree with that boy i would hope so i you know what that that is my hope i i don't have any guarantees so every once in a while i'll just get oh boy every once in a while i'll get a really lovely email from a listener that will say sarah i was listening to the right now podcast and you know what I haven't written for 20 years. I picked up a pen today and I wrote. And like yeah, that, that's yes, great, that's beautiful. <laughs> um, for for the for a girl in space, it's not exactly, it's not that simple. You know, it's not that like, oh, you did this and now I do this. It's It's a little bit more like, oh, I'm listening to your show and it got me through a really long drive. Or I had a really bad day at work, but hey, there's a new girl in space episode and I can take my mind off of work and just, uh, you know, kind of set down into this this world that you've created. And mm. that's that's equally fulfilling for me. It's fulfilling in a different way, but it's it's equally fulfilling. Um, and and in, in a way, it's gosh, I don't know how spacey this is going to sound, but um, <laughs> just I don't go know. for it's it. Like, <laughs> OK, I'm just going to go for it. Uh, I, I love sitting down with people and I can do that very overtly in the right now podcast. I either sit down and I talk directly to listeners or I sit down with a guest like you're doing with me yes. and we talk about writing and, and people can participate and listen and share and see themselves in that. And I, I feel like I'm even doing that in girl in space too. It's, it's, I try to keep it a very intimate show. I try to keep it, um, just as much of an audio, audio diary as the right now podcast. Um, I was joking with a friend the other day that, you know, everything I say in the right now podcast is true, but so is everything that I say in girl in space, you know, fiction <laughs> mirrors reality. Yes. And, you yeah. know, I, I talk about, you know, oh, I have this issue with this person. It reflects an issue that I'm having in real life. And so, um, hopefully people are still able to pull truths out of that. Hopefully they're still able to see themselves in that and connect with the characters and connect with the story and, and, and hopefully, hopefully it serves them in a way that says, you're not alone. You, you mm. are, you mm. are here with other people who are dealing with stuff. You are here with other people, um, who, you know, you can always turn on the show and you can always listen and I will always be there in your ear. Um, that's very important to me to let people know that, you know, you're not doing this alone. So mm. I, I, I hope that answers your question in a weird roundabout way. No, it's great. It, it, it's spawns other questions which i think this is one of those conversations where i know i can kind of i could just go off on a tangent and ask a whole bunch of other stuff um i may indulge myself slightly by oh, doing please that do. please do i'm happy <laughs> um, to we're talking about girl in space and i wondered if perhaps for those who don't know what it is you could just spend a few moments and tell us a little bit about the premise for girl in space how the story came about how how creating this audio drama came about just to give us a little bit of context absolutely so uh girl in space is a uh so i have season one planned out it's a fictional show it is like i said about a girl in space uh there is a research station 
uh, called the Cavatica that has been abandoned somewhere in space. Uh, I'm kind of keeping it under wraps exactly where this location Mm. is, but it is within proximity of a red dwarf star uh, named Ra. And you're not sure why this girl is alone on this research station in the middle of nowhere. You're not sure uh, what happened to the other people that were with her, if there were indeed other people with her. And you're not sure, as she is not sure, uh, what that bright light coming toward her in the distance could be. And so <laughs> the story unfolds as this strange light draws nearer to the Cavatica, and our heroine has to deal also with the fact that uh, her own research station was not meant to last as long as it has and is mm. slowly, slowly crumbling. And so um, there's a little bit of conflict there. There. There's a little bit of conflict there with the the slowly approaching light, which those of you who have listened know exactly what it is. But yeah, and so uh, it, it came out of, I guess, my love of science fiction. It came out of actually the Right Now podcast when I was speaking one day into my mic for the Right Now podcast, wondering what would happen if I was, you know, somewhere else doing this podcast, like space. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> um, and uh it also came out of the fact that uh, I'm I'm one of those writers who has never published their novel. I have a drawer full of unfinished novels, and right. this was one of them. And uh, I was like, you know what? There's just so much that goes into publishing a book. There's so many, um, I don't know, closed gates, if you will. There's you, you have to open so many gates. There's the, getting an agent, there's finding a yeah. publisher, there's yeah. like finishing the darn thing, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, but you know what? I have all this podcasting equipment. I have access to, uh, you know, free sound effects. There's all sorts of great free sound effects out there. I have my voice and I have um, my mother-in-law who plays uh, Charlotte, the AI. Does she? Um, oh. <laughs> oh, she absolutely does. Yeah, she is a sweetheart and I love her. And, um, there, there's, you know, I have all this stuff. Why don't I just go ahead and release this chapter by chapter as an audio Mm. drama and just see Mm. what happens. And, and so that's kind of, uh, that's kind of where the show came from. Can you give us some sense of how popular it is? Because my, my sense following it and seeing comment on social media was that the, it attracted a lot of attention, certainly when it emerged and when it started. Absolutely. So actually, I just uh, I hit a fun milestone. And I never want to like brag about milestones on social media, because I don't want to look like I'm like, hey, I'm pretty great. Um, But I'll (laughs) tell you that uh, I just hit a quarter of a million downloads total for the first nine episodes that are out, which is kind of exciting. Um, And each episode gets about I have about 30,000 loyal listeners. So each time I release an episode, it just kind of I get about 30,000 downloads. And so it's been it's really cool to know that the show is is reaching that mm. many people. And I kind of attribute that to the fact that we're going to get a little technical here with how podcasts are, are sort of distributed. But sure. A, I released the show uh, the very week that Apple switched over to the new iOS that had the redesigned podcasting app. And so I think a lot of people were like testing out the new podcasting app and like looking for new podcasts. Mm. And I think that that helped a little bit. And then um, also, uh, my show ended up on the front page of iTunes for a week or two. Cool. Uh, and so I think a lot of people just accidentally stumbled across it. <laughs> and, you know, who knows? I have this conversation all the time with another friend of mine who is very, like, believes in luck. And 
I don't know if I believe in luck or if I think that you make your own luck, you know, by planting seeds along the way. But whatever it is, I feel like I just got very, I got very lucky and I'm very, very grateful for the beautiful soul who put my show on the front page of iTunes. So thank you, whoever (laughs) you are. I'm so grateful to you. And it's funny that it's been successful because, um, you know, I just did it kind of as an experiment. I didn't intend for it to become this like thing. I didn't even have more than one episode written when I launched it. It was just, it was, I was just going to say, oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm getting these downloads and I'm like, oh, I'm going to need to create an episode two probably. So it's kind of been a whirlwind since then. Yeah. Thinking about the people who listen to my podcast and most of whom are, are writers. I mean, I, I, as you say, people make their own luck and people actually, people who tend to work hard and create great things tend to succeed so i'd like Mm -hmm. to explore some of the literary aspects or the the creative aspects i suppose of the story with you and just just see if i can tease out whether there are some of those things in it which have made it whether those are some of the reasons why it's a success and what we can learn from that Um, of course yeah so for example earlier on you talked about issues around intimacy loneliness relationship and and it and really girl in space is a great context for this are those attractive issues for people and is there a lesson for us as writers or as creative people in that absolutely oh and there's so many layers to this there's oh there's so many <laughs> layers here i don't even know which one i want to talk about first but um i'll start off with um yes this is intentional Um, I I know that there's this tendency for writers, myself included, to think of ourselves as not just alone, but exceptionally alone. It's like, Mm. not only are we, I think, often introverts or, uh, you know, by nature, our craft is a lonely craft. You know, you're sitting at a desk somewhere, you're, you're shut off either by like a literal door or you're wearing headphones or you are, you've somehow removed yourself from the mass of society. Mm. Uh, in in the case of most writers, there are some writers who like to write cooperatively and 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 all of that. But um, and and so I wanted to look at this sort of ivory tower thing that we writers have, and and just really really smash that because um, and and it's something that I struggle with too. There's there's something really beautiful and attractive for me about being alone. Um, I can do my own thing. I can uh, listen to the music that I want to listen to. I can have my own way. I can enjoy the quiet and the solitude. But there's really, I think, a need. There's a there's a deep need for us to be also in in constant communication with each other and in community mm. with each other. Mm. And and I think that that's what podcasts like yours do is it draws writers into a community. And I think that that is so so crucial, even though we we so easily dismiss it as important. And that's one of the things that I'm exploring right now in the story of Girl in Space is somebody who really enjoys being alone. So often mm. you'll listen to, you'll, you'll read a sci-fi book where there's a character alone in space and they're desperately lonely or they're like, oh, I wish I had someone to talk to. My main character, whose name is X, like the letter X, she loves being alone and she, she mm. relishes it. There is no one to tell her what to do. She can do all of the weird scientific experiments she wants to. She doesn't have to, you know, do small talk with anyone. She is the introvert's introvert. And so what I explore is, so spoilers. So those of you who <laughs> eventually other characters do show up and it's a struggle for the main character to deal with this because she loves being alone and, and being alone is part of her identity and I think we had, we as writers often feel like that, you know, being alone, being thoughtful, being pensive 
being shut somewhere in a room with a typewriter or a pad of paper or a computer. That's our identity. And to have society like stomp in on that and, and be like, hey, I'm here now. Deal with this is is very much something that the main character is is going through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so learning to live in community, but also then realizing how crucial and important it is. And I didn't realize this myself. I don't like to preach in, sure. in, in my fiction. Um, but I, I do like to explore issues like this. And I have to say that my my best writing comes when I'm in community with other writers. And, and whether that okay. means sitting down and having them critique my work or even having them critique what I'm doing, like, hey, Sarah, stop eating so much candy while you write, you know, you're gonna rot your teeth out. Or maybe you shouldn't have that much coffee. You know, have you thought about your, your health? Having Having other people in constant community helps you not feel alone. It keeps you on track. Um, it, it allows you to bounce ideas off of other people to see if things work. Mm. And I, I think ultimately, no matter how much we fight against it, those of us who are super hardcore introverts, it's ultimately very healthy for us. And I think at some point, your your character does reflect on that tension, doesn't mm-hmm. she? The, this kind of, as you say, you said she likes being alone, but she's got this kind of strangely ambivalent relationship or approach and attitude to, to the company of others. I guess one of, I think one of the good things about Girl in Space and one of the reasons why it's so popular and the thing that we can learn from this is that there are these real themes that Mm -hmm. you're exploring and not just a real theme, but almost a kind of creative tension in the character. So we're watching Mm -hmm. to see how this character deals with these, these different forces that are are on them. Now, my sense is that audio drama is going to become very popular, is becoming popular and will become more popular. So Mm -hmm. for anybody who is actually thinking about perhaps producing their own audio drama, what kind of creative and technical advice would you give them? Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, I love talking about this. Um, So one of the things you asked earlier, like, you know, how is why did this become popular? I think part of it was I already had gotten my feet wet with a nonfiction podcast. So I, I'd, yeah. I'd been doing the the Right Now podcast for about two and a half years. And I learned a lot from that experience. And so I feel like I was at a little bit of an advantage starting an audio drama because I had the podcasting basics kind of down. Um, basically, uh, some pointers that I can give just podcasting in general are um, – you know, you don't need to pay a million dollars. My my entire budget when I started the Right Now podcast was thirty five dollars. Um, I don't know what that converts to in in euros or pounds or what have you, but uh, it's it's very inexpensive. It's, it's not uh, much, whichever currency no. you're talking about. It's about twenty exactly. pounds or something like that. I think. Yes, yes. Um, I was using a borrowed microphone, and the microphone I was using was a Blue Snowball, which I think retails right now for sixty, maybe sixty dollars. Um, I, I have since upgraded to a blue, what is this? A blue Yeti, uh, which retails for about $120. Again, you can kind of look up whatever conversion that is. Um, so you don't, you know, you don't need a $400 mic. You don't need all of this stuff. Um, my original $35 budget spend was for audio foam. I do encourage people to use sound dampeners. So if you are recording, this is one of the very most basic, simple things you can do as a podcaster is make sure that you are, no matter where you're recording from, that you do good sound treatment. And so for me, that is, um, I'm in a room with, I have um, towels everywhere to absorb uh, <laughs> sound. Because you think of sound as a, as a wave and it bounces. And yes. what you don't want is it to bounce a lot. And so putting up some audio foam, putting up, I mean, if, if you don't have access to audio foam, 
Um, a lot of podcasters will record um, under a quilt or some blankets. I use towels everywhere. If you're in a closet, the hanging clothes there provide a lot of great sound dampeners. Uh, you also don't want, you want as few right angles as possible um, so that you don't end up with that tinny echoey sound. You want to minimize hard flat surfaces. So that's just very, 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 very basic beginner stuff. Um, if you are going to be interviewing people, make sure that you listen uh, before you ask and maybe make sure you listen more than you ask. Um, I made the yes. mistake of when I was first, oh, I was awful when I first started interviewing people. Uh, it was the me show, right? It was me, me, me. And I was asking questions and it's like, no, Sarah, your job as an interviewer is not to ask questions. Your job as an interviewer is to listen and then ask questions that come up. So that was an mm. important lesson mm. that I learned. Um, as far as audio drama, though, um, so those were some of the things that I took with me into audio drama. Uh, basically, number one, it's going to take a lot more time than you think it will. Hmm. Uh, you, you said earlier, I don't know what goes into one of your episodes. So my episodes for, for Girl in Space are, are around 30 minutes. Uh, sometimes they're 26, sometimes they're like 42, but it's average 30 minutes. Each one of those episodes takes me between 60 and 80 hours. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, so, you're laughing. Yes. Yeah, yes. well, I'm I'm kind of I was wondering what you were going to say. Um because <laughs> because listening to it as I said as I said to you earlier, I can I can listen to it as a piece of entertainment, but I'm also listening to it as a as a piece of technical work and I'm thinking end to end, so all of the writing, all of the recording mm -hmm. and the editing and bringing it all together, the whole piece. I I guess I would have guessed a big number, but not six, 60 hours I don't think. So so that means mm -hmm. you're you're spending over a hundred minutes or a hundred units of time on on the work to produce one unit of final product. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is a hundred to one ratio. About yes. Oh my gosh, isn't that horrifying? Why do I do this? <laughs> Why am I doing this? No, I'm doing it because I love it. Because it's fun. It's like it, it's it's writing. So you know, you write the scripts. So I'll run you real quick just through the process. So yes, please do. Um, I, I write a script. And uh, people do this differently. I write, uh, I write each episode as I create each episode. But most smart people uh, write the entire thing uh, before they get into recording and releasing it. So, you know, but I'll tell you about my processes, which I, uh, I write the episode. And then I, uh, I, I call up or I email all of the people who will be acting in the episode and I send them the script. And then they record their bits on their end. And then they send those to me. I record my lines. And then what I do is I have everybody's audio files open. And I take uh, line by line uh, everybody's uh, lines. And I smoosh them all together. I have sound design in the background where I design what the Cavatica sounds like, what each room in which place sounds like. Um, I put in special effects. So if somebody uh, trips over a bench, then I need a sound of someone tripping over a bench. Mm. And that can be, that's called Foley work. And that is uh, very, very interesting. So if you have a bone breaking or something like, oh, I'll snap a piece of celery into my microphone. And that's the sound of a bone breaking. Um, so that can get really, really fun. Uh, but it takes a lot of time. Mm. And then, uh, so yeah, so once I have that all in, that's that's production. And then once I'm done with that, I'll export it and make sure I have all of the meta tags in there and everything. And then I'll submit the episode to my RSS feed so that people can download it. And then after that comes the marketing, which is the part that nobody ever thinks about. And it takes a ton of time. 
Um, and I'm not talking about buying billboards on the highway. I'm talking about, uh, you know, community building over social media, making sure that people know that there's a new episode out, talking about other people's shows, because a lot of marketing is talking about other people's work in addition to your own. Mm. But we maybe go into that a whole, that's a whole nother topic. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what my process looks like. And like you said, from uh, writing to release, uh, yeah, 60 to 80 hours. <laughs> and that doesn't include the time that your actors are have put into it then i presume that's no, yours yeah, 60 no, to 80 no, that's hours. my time right that's my time so <laughs> and i think usually for my actors it's probably about two well depending on how many lines they have it's usually two to four hours a person for for their uh for their acting yeah okay you you talked a little bit about the marketing effort that you put in so i wondered if you could expand on that a little bit for us what obviously there's social media elements to it but what are the things that you do generally to market your work there's this is something that i fought against for for years and so when i first graduated college i was very anti-marketing i was like marketing is evil marketing is manipulation marketing is telling people they need to buy something that they don't actually need marketing is lies that is actually not true uh so if you if you write a novel and you say, okay, I've written this novel, and you self-publish it, and you have a stack of these books on your desk in front of you. How do you let people know that this book exists? Like, that's that's what marketing is at, at its heart. It's just letting people know that this thing you created exists and that you would like to share it with them. Mm. Um, it, it is finding your audience and letting them know that this thing that they would like exists. And and, and so when I when I started rethinking about marketing that way, I realized how important it was because um, it's not true that, you know, the whole if you build it, they will come. Uh, no, they don't know about it, so they won't hmm. know to come. Hmm. It's certainly um, not true in, with self-publishing, is it? If oh, you, gosh, no. If you build it, you still have to tell them that, and then they'll yeah. come. Yeah. Well, then they'll come, but not until then. And so um, <laughs> basically, I, I did a couple things. Um, when I first started out, uh, I, I had um, – an email list for the right now podcast. And so when I first launched girl in space, I let everyone know that, Hey, I have a new show that's coming out in about two weeks. I'll send you the URL at that time. You you can download it. Let me know what you think. Uh, if it's terrible, I won't do it anymore. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So I sent out an email to my email list, which was about, which was about probably a thousand people and, you know, open rates on those are about, you know, 10 to 30%. So maybe 300 people opened that email. And then, uh, so I did that. I also, uh, friends and family are the underrated, I don't know, superhero of this equation. I let my friends and family know that like, Hey, I have a new creative project. I would love it if you would go to this website and click download. Um, that would mean the world to me. And 90% of them don't understand what a podcast is, but you know what? That's okay. (laughs) That's okay, because some people end up enjoying it, and that's beautiful. And even better, um, they have something to tell their friends, like, oh, hey, my niece Sarah has a new show thing that I don't understand, but maybe you would like it. It's science Mm, fiction. mm. Hooray. Um, (laughs) Like, my mother doesn't know what a podcast is, but you know what? She still tells people that her daughter has a podcast, and sometimes people understand. So don't (laughs) underestimate family and friends as being great evangelists for your work. Mm. Um, Gosh, and the other thing is I just – I build community. I learned a long time ago that, and this is this is mostly uh, pertaining to social media, and it's really easy to go out there, and I see writers do this all the time. Um, they just essentially turn into spammers. So there's so many writers on Twitter, and everything they tweet is like, buy my book, 99 cents, Amazon.com, critically acclaimed, buy my book, and then there's a picture of the book cover. And it's like, 
okay, that's, that's cool. You can, you can do that, but you can also do that better. You know, you can do it in a way that doesn't irritate and annoy people and make them unfollow you because I don't want to be sold. I don't go on to Twitter to like have people pitch things to me. I go on to Twitter to look for interesting stuff. I look, I, I look for relationships. I look for friendships. I look for, um, I don't know, other people to talk and listen to and engage in a conversation with, right? Mm, mm. I don't want to be yelled at from a bullhorn. No. So maybe this is the uh, evil marketing that you were yeah, trying to yes. get away from when you were coming out of college. Yes, this is. It's like, no, don't don't sell me your don't sell me your wares. Like, or if I am a good fit, then find a way to build a relationship with me, right? Mm. Find a way to mm. be in a community with me and then I'll check out your work. And so um, what I do is I find, um, you can find communities. So if you're writing science fiction, if you're writing mystery, if you're writing romance, if you're writing nonfiction, uh, self-help, development, anything like that, find the communities on social media that um, pertain to your work. And so for me, and not necessarily even pertain to your work, but pertain to your audience's interests, and that's the other thing that I think we forget in marketing is it's not about you, right? It's not even <laughs> about your book or your podcast or whatever it is you're marketing. It's not about you. It's about your audience. So first first rule of marketing is to know your audience. Hmm. And um, for me, my audience, and I like to give them personas and stuff. So I have my audience is personified by a, uh, a woman in her mid-30s and she likes science fiction and she feels like maybe she doesn't belong in society or maybe, you know, so you, you kind of go through and you create these personas. Mm. What kind of hobbies do they have? Mm. Where do they hang out? And you know what? Twitter might not be where your audience is, in which case don't use Twitter. They may be on Instagram. They may be on Facebook. They may be on Snapchat, you know? And, and so finding where your audience is, building community with them, making sure that you understand their interests and then speaking with them, engaging them, asking questions, um, and again, not in a spammy way, you know, it all goes back to how can I best serve you? Like, how can I best serve and help? And so I, I've even noticed that a lot of my audience comes from places where I have been serving, mm. um, places where, so I, uh, I was in the She Podcasts forum, uh, there's a Facebook group for She Podcasts. And I found that a lot of people, if I, if I just am in there giving advice and helping people out, they'll check out my show. And that's mm. awesome. Mm. So if you if you come to marketing from a place of not necessarily pitching and selling, but if you come to marketing from a place of understanding your audience, wanting to build community, and wanting to give more than you get, uh, I, I think that you'll be you'll be really really set. Okay. It's also good to remember fi one final thing, and then I'll yeah, be yeah. quiet. Go on. <laughs> um, there, there is the eighty twenty rule. I don't know if you're familiar with this. If you want to do self promotion, if you want to have a tweet that says like, "Hey, come buy my book; it's on sale." Make sure that that's only 20% sure. of your percentage-wise of what you're tweeting. The mm -hmm. other 80% should be helpful, good, value-driving, uh, good stuff. So, okay, I'm done talking about marketing <laughs> for, for now. <laughs> but one more thing about marketing I just want to ask you. <laughs> uh, just, a, just a quick thing. So, do you, do you have a marketing budget? Do you spend anything on marketing? And if you do, where do you spend it? Oh, great question. Uh, the answer to that is you can. So, so there, there's ways to do it with no budget and there's ways to do it with a budget. And so mm. if you have no budget, which sometimes every once in a while I have like what I call my budget faucet and every once in a while I'll turn on the faucet. And so I'll funnel $5 for a boosted post on Facebook here sure. or, or what have you. But, um, so if I ever do turn on the faucet, 
um, I will do either $5 a day uh, Facebook ads or I will do um, some very low budget Google AdWords ads. I okay. found that those two are the most lucrative. You know, there's there's Twitter ads, which I have never seen Maybe and maybe some of you out there are like, oh, my gosh, Twitter ads are my bread and butter, in which case great for you. They do not work for me. <laughs> um, so I, I, I tend not to do those. But I have I have found great success with Facebook ads and uh, Google AdWords ads. And okay. that is where you have the the sort of text ads mm. and it pulls out uh, different keywords. So when people search in Google, uh, if they search for a keyword that says space podcast, then there's a very good chance that Girl in Space will come up as a little AdWords ad sure. and they can check out my show from there. So those are the sort of two paid avenues that I'll okay. go down. Do mm-hmm. you do you have any opinion on with with Facebook ads and the whole Facebook thing? Do you have any opinion mm-hmm. on the Facebook ads versus boosted posts thing? Hmm. You know, oh gosh. So I think most of my information here will be pretty outdated. I, I want to say the last time that I ran, I ran a Facebook ad or a Facebook campaign was probably around ugh, March of 2017. So it's okay. been over, it's been over a year and it changes mm. a lot. So I, I want to make sure I'm not giving you like outdated information. <laughs> um, I tended not to do boosted posts. I tended to run actual ads um, and there's all sorts of, of reasons why you should and shouldn't do things that I think could probably make up their, uh, an entire podcast yeah, episode I'm itself. Sure should, but, yeah. um, basically you're going to want to think about what does your audience want and what will, um, what will draw the most eyeballs. And so for me, uh, boosted posts didn't work as well as just ads because mm. I think I feel like the boosted posts were maybe limited to my audience. See, now I'm I don't I want to make sure I'm not saying anything inaccurate. So um, I guess yeah, I can't really answer your question very that's, well. No, that's fine. I mean, you, well, you, <laughs> what you can do is I mean, you've you've put the health warning on it and said it's March last year, and and then you've told us your experience, so that's fine. Well, good. So I want to come back to this kind of portfolio of work that you do so you've got a lot of projects on the go yes and I'm wondering how manage that in terms of <laughs> giving each one the creative and energy and the technical energy and the energy full stop that it mm-hmm. needs but not but not burning out you you mm-hmm. not just kind of burning out because you're trying to kind of put put something of yourself into too many things mm-hmm. mm. oh my gosh this is I feel like this is the question with a capital Q uh <laughs> is it's Okay, so I and I have several different answers. The first one is uh, that I don't manage it very well, <laughs> and that I'm I'm still figuring that out. Um, gosh, so I, I left my full time job uh, over a year ago, and I said, "All right, I'm going to be self employed, and I'm going to finally have time to do everything." The weird thing about time is that your projects will expand uh, to fit the time that you have available, right? And so now instead of like you know, wedging my audio editing for the right now podcast into an hour over lunch, like I used to do at work it now, if I give it three hours in the morning, it will take me three hours. And so you kind of have to be, you have to set limits and you have to set boundaries for yourself. 
Um, and, and that's easier, much easier said than done. It's very hard for me to set boundaries because I tend to be a very idea driven person and I like shiny things and there's always shiny things to distract <laughs> me from the work I have to do. Uh, one thing that's helped me is I, I purchased a productivity planner and I'm sure there's a million different versions of these, but basically what it does is it encourages you to focus on three things a day. And, you know, sometimes there's a few extraneous tasks that you may need to do, like stop at the grocery store or, you know, do your exercises or what have you. I, I have one main focus and then two uh, secondary focuses that I'm allowed to do every day. And so I don't get to do everything I love to do every day, but I get to do everything I love every week. And so, um, you know, maybe Monday I have a website that I need to work on. That's fine. I'll get that website worked on. And then I, I'll look forward to Tuesday when I can edit Girl in Space. And, and so I kind of mm. have to be a little bit strict with myself there. And I have to look at, here's all the tasks that I have to do in a week. And I usually take a week's overview of it. And then here's how many hours uh, I have this week, because we tend to think that our time is unlimited, because I don't know, whatever, I don't know if this is leftover from from college or what, but, oh, I have infinite time to work on this project, because I don't need to sleep, which is a lie, because I do need to sleep. <laughs> and so I can't work on something for 24 hours. So I kind of establish, okay, I have 60 hours this week that I can work, how do I divvy that up? And what does that look like? And how can I actually be realistic about this? Because um, unfortunately, we don't have unlimited time. And more importantly, we don't have unlimited energy. Hmm. And so it's it's a really good idea to um, figure out what's important, put your best energy toward that. And then I guess maybe sometimes being okay, letting unimportant things slide. Like my, my office right now is a disaster area. But it's just not <laughs> something that is not a priority for me. You yes. know, yeah. it's like, I could either spend an hour tidying up my office or I could spend an hour having this conversation with you. And this is just infinitely more valuable to me. Thank you very much. Yes. It's very valuable to me as well. <laughs> also, now I can blame you for my messy office. Yeah, so well, you can, you can do that. This is, this is why your office is still untidy. <laughs> um, so you, you talked about your, your productivity tool there and it, it lets you do three things. So, mm-hmm. Uh, just thinking about the scale of those things, uh, on could you give us an example of what you might do in a day where you've got like the bigger thing and the two smaller things that that you do? What Definitely. might they be? Yeah. Um, so, uh, and if you're the sort of person that has a job that might be, you know, your number one thing, you might say, okay, I have to spend eight hours at my job, but then here's my two other things, my novel and spending time with my family. And so you can kind of arrange it however you like. But mm. for me, I use the Pomodoro method. And so what that is, uh, I don't know if those of you listening have heard of this. It is a sort of time management um, system where uh, you set a timer for 25 minutes. And originally, I guess it was like a little tomato shaped kitchen timer, which mm. is where Pomodoro comes from, because that's Italian for tomato, I, I guess. I don't know. I'm not bilingual or even necessarily well-versed in other languages. But um, you set the timer for 25 minutes. You work focused, head down, let nothing else bother you for those 25 minutes. And then at the end of the 25 minutes, you breathe, you take a break, you go to the restroom, you do what you need to do for five minutes, and then you take another 25-minute heavy focus work break. Uh, excuse me, not work break, but uh, work session. And so mm. that's what I do. And so I divide up my tasks into little Pomodoro sessions. Um, okay. This is getting like really in the weeds. But so I'll no, give myself. Uh, yeah. So I'll say, okay, Sarah, today, you know, you're working on this website, you have to get the DNS, you know, switched over, or you have to like write these seven pages 
um, you know, that'll cost four Pomodoros and you have a total of X <laughs> for the whole day. And so I'll pencil in. And then every time I complete a Pomodoro, I'll like make a little check in the box or color in the circle or whatever, however I'm doing it that day. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'll do that. Uh, I have trouble focusing, which I think a lot of creative people do. And so it's hard for me, but, uh, but that system really helps. Cause I'll see that, okay, I, I only have five minutes left to focus and then I can go buy another coffee or use the restroom or stretch my legs. <laughs> um, so that's, that's how I do that. I do them in a series of 25 minute bursts, um, getting the stuff over with that I don't particularly love to do while looking forward to, uh, the stuff that I do love to do, like writing and audio editing. So, um, just thinking about um, the financial side as well of all the things you're doing. Now, you said that you spend 60 to 80 hours on an episode of Girl in Space. Mm-hmm. Now, that audio drama doesn't have ads as far as I'm aware. Nope. So you're not nope. earning anything from ads. Um, nope. So how do you monetize, not just that necessarily, but all your stuff? Definitely. So... You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I'm actually speaking on a panel about this at Podcast Movement, which is coming up in July in in the States here. And what you need to do is you can't rely on just one revenue stream. And and Mm -hmm. this is something that I had to learn uh, when I left my full-time day job. And that is, you know, when you have that full-time day job, you do just have one revenue stream, right? You just Mm -hmm. have your day job. Mm -hmm. And then, like, you can relax. You can, you know, not worry about other things. But when you're self-employed, you you do have to have different revenue streams because if a client suddenly quits on you or if something happens to whatever platform you have set up over here, you know, all your eggs can't be in one basket because all of a sudden, you know, you're going to have to like go get a job at a gas station. And so, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, maybe, maybe that's something that you wouldn't mind doing and that's cool. Um, but it's not something I would enjoy doing. And so, um, I applied that uh, to my podcast and I said, okay, my podcast is going to need different revenue streams. And so um, ads was the first one that I considered. And I decided that I did not want ads. And I made that decision for a few reasons. Um, And I hope this doesn't make me sound snotty or disparaging of people who do have ads in their show, because I think it's ads are a great way to make money. Um, For me, it was not worth, uh, I looked around at some different placement, uh, media placement, uh, places. And I said, you know, how much, like, this is my audience size. How much could I make from having an advertisement on each show? And I would have to have an ad at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of every episode, um, I would not really be able to control what the advertisement was for. And I would end up making maybe a hundred dollars a month, maybe, and so for me, subjecting my audience to three ads in every episode for content that I really didn't have any control over was just, it just, for me, it wasn't worth it. For me, it wasn't worth it. And so no. I really challenged myself to think of how, how can I bring in money for this show? And so what I ended up doing was I scratched off, uh, I scratched off ads on my list. And I was like, okay, what else is on my list? How else can I monetize this? And so I do a mix and match. 
Um, I do multiple revenue streams for my show. So I sell merchandise. So there mm-hmm. is Girl in Space merchandise out there. I'm actually wearing one of my Girl in Space t-shirts right now. <laughs> yes, I do buy my own merchandise for myself as a treat sometimes. I'm like, mm, I want a new Girl in Space shirt. So I'll get one. And I'll be like, yeah, I just sort of made money, kind of, but it was my own money. So it's just, anyway. Uh, so yes, so uh, I'm probably my biggest customer, but I don't even care. So uh, I sell merchandise, which... Um, brings in and and you know if if you've ever made a business plan it's a great idea to make a business plan and say okay i can expect probably about x percentage of my income to come from merchandise for me it's like two percent so it's not huge but Hmm. again it it kind of the and the other thing is uh each of these avenues uh will sort of grow depending on what kind of attention you feed it, you know? So like if you put a lot of energy into like selling your merch, you'll probably make a lot more money off of your merch. So I haven't been pushing it really. So I just kind of, uh, take what comes. So I have merchandise. I have, um, I have a Patreon account, which is uh, sort of a third party, uh, donation platform. So if you think of like a pledge drive or, uh, like a nonprofit Mm. sort of asks people, I don't know if you have NPR or something similar to that. We have, well, we, I mean, we have similar things, but I think I'm guessing most people listening to this would even know what pa- Patreon oh, is or perfect. or would be able to go and look it up pretty quickly. But I mean, just just on Patreon, I'm, I'm interested to know whether you have a is, is it your Patreon account? Is it Sarah, Sarah, who's being sponsored here or or does right now and Girl in Space have a Patreon account? Is it is it what you do or is it you? That is a really good question. Um, for me, I have a different Patreon account for each of my shows. And I think going forward in the future, I will continue to have different Patreon accounts for my different projects. And so, um, I have one originally that's tied to Sarah Ray Warner, which is my personal name, but that goes toward the right now podcast. And then I started one for girl in space just because the audiences were going to be so different and Mm, I offer different awards, uh, on each platform. And so, I don't know, I think I would encourage a different, um, Patreon account if that's something you're interested in doing, uh, for each creative project you do just because the audience will likely be different for each project but again i can't guarantee sure. that and you might want to offer different awards so i i think that a lot of my right now listeners would not be interested if some of the rewards were girl in space t-shirts a lot of them are <laughs> like i don't care about science fiction I, do not send this to me so um so yeah so i make i make the majority of my podcast income from patreon i think right now i'm up to about 850 dollars a month and okay. that's that, you know, helps immensely with all of our other expenses. I do want to continue actively growing that. I would like that to be uh, sort of the main source of income for the show. Um, Even though once again, A, it is a third party. So you never know, like if Patreon gets shut down the next day, uh, you know, am I screwed? So you want to make sure that's, Mm, that's mm. one of the reasons you want to have multiple streams of income. And then, um, you know, also, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So you do want to make sure that you have those multiple streams Mm -hmm. of income. Um, Yeah, I also I have a few other things that are set up. Uh, My podcasting has allowed me uh, the chance to write for Forbes magazine, which I also do. And I consider that one of my since I write about podcasting for them. Uh, that's one of my podcasting streams of income. Um, And then I have just a few other kind of small things out there. Uh, Yeah. That cool. allows uh, people to give me money. So yeah, multiple income streams. Is, so that, that's is the main thing. Advice. Yeah, yes. it's, it's that. That's the key point here, isn't it? That as you say, multiple income streams. So, yes. um, you're doing lots of stuff. 
And I'm sure there are other things that, that you'd like to do. So can you give us a bit of a clue as to what you'd like to do next and uh, other things that are kind of might be coming along the track at some point? Yes. Oh my gosh. I love talking about this. So um, I have season one, of course, of Girl in Space that I'm going to be finishing up. Um, I have uh, more episodes of the Right Now podcast to come. I also um, have been approached uh, by an agent asking if I would be perhaps interested in turning Girl in Space into a book. And I'm like, "Um, heck yes. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah. I haven't really told anyone about it because, you know, it's not, it was just a like a, an approach. It wasn't like, Hey, here's a contract. So like, I don't want to talk about it before it's a thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, I plan to write a, a girl in space novelization. I also have girl in space season two, uh, that I will be working on in the fall coming up. Uh, and then I also have a super secret brand new audio drama that I am sort of in the process of outlining ah, and gathering cool. resources for. So okay. I, yes, I love audio drama. I love it. And I'm so excited about, uh, experimenting once again in the medium and just seeing what kind of weird new stuff I can come mm-hmm. up with. <laughs> um, so it sounds to me as if we've kind of, you're, you're one of this growing band of people who are not just writers, but are creative people. You've got a portfolio of income streams. You've got a portfolio of work that you're working on. So what would you say are the two or three key pieces of advice for mm. creative people? They could be writers. They could be writers and doing other things. What what are the things that they really do need to think about? Mm. So do you want advice as it pertains to like doing this full time or just kind of any creative advice in general? I think probably any creative advice in mm. general at the moment that sort of best practices, I suppose your best practices for creative people might be a good way to think of it. <laughs> okay. Um, I think my first one is, uh, number one, finish something. It's so easy for me to start projects. Like I could start a new novel, you know, this afternoon, like mm. I could start, mm. I could write 10 new poems tomorrow and just love it. But finishing something, sticking with something, doing the tedious work, doing the revisions and the editing and yes. all of that stuff is so freaking hard. And so, uh, but, but really, you know, unless you're doing something that publishes serially, like I'm doing with Girl in Space, you need to finish it in order to sell it, in order to make your name, in order to make money off of it. And so... Um, I'm coming up on finishing season one of Girl in Space, and I'm simultaneously very excited and very terrified. Um, but I think it will probably be a very, very good and necessary experience that will hopefully propel me, <laughs> hopefully propel me forward. Um, so that my first piece of advice is 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 finish what you're working on. Mm, um, good advice. <laughs> <laughs> my second piece of advice is. Um, sort of the opposite. And that is, if you are afraid to start, um, you know, you need to start. It's very easy and it's very comfortable for us to cling to our fears. And there's fears of, you know, there's fears of, am I going to fail? There's fears of, am I going to succeed? There's fears of what will other people think? There's all these, there's fears out there. There's so many fears and it's, it's so liberating to sort of get over it. And to Mm, say, you know what, mm. I acknowledge that these fears exist. Um, They've been keeping me from living up to my potential. They've been keeping me from starting this project. Um, I'm going to just say, you know, screw it to those fears and get started on this and just see where it goes. You need to sort of be open with yourself and say, you know what, 
there's fear here. I acknowledge that, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it a try anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think my third piece of uh, advice for creatives is it, it comes from something I learned in marketing and that is garbage in garbage out. And so um, you need to be constantly feeding yourself. I've talked with a lot of, and when I talk, when I, when I say feeding yourself, I don't mean like sit down and have a big steak. I'm talking about <laughs> like feed your mind, creative, cool yes. stuff. And, yeah. and um, there's a lot of writers out there who say, you know what? All my free time is going toward writing. I don't have time to read. I don't have time to do this or this. Um, if you don't put anything in, like nothing good or innovative will come out. You need to constantly be feeding your brain new ideas, new ways of thinking, new ways mm. of speaking. Mm. Um, it, it, and you can do that by reading. You can do that by watching movies. You can do that by going to plays. You can do that by meeting interesting people for coffee. You just need something going into your brain, new things, interesting things, revolutionary things that your brain can process and churn and chew on and then spit out into something new. Um, you, you need creative fuel and, uh, you do have time for that. And if you don't feel like you have time for that, you really should make time for Mm. it. If you, if you write an hour a day, make sure five minutes, just the first five minutes of that, are you reading something that stimulates your brain? Um, and, and, and make sure it's stimulating, make sure it's not like, you know, a reality TV show or, uh, (laughs) you know, an advertisement for something. It has to be you know, maybe read a poem. Those are short, they're provocative. Um, but, but you really do need to make sure that you're, that you're feeding your brain so that good stuff can come out. Okay. So uh, one final question then, Sarah, um, yes. you've talked a lot about all the things you're doing and, and the ways you're engaging with people and all of that kind of good stuff. So how can people find out more about you, about your work, about the things that we've talked about? today oh how wonderful how wonderful of you to ask um (laughs) let's see people can find my website so i I have like you know i build websites for a living so i have like a million websites but i'll point you to (laughs) sarahwerner.com that's s-a-r-a-h-w-e-r-n-e-r.com and pretty much everything that i'm working on is accessible from that website um you can also search for the right now podcast that's wr I-T-E, because, you know, we're writers and we write now. Uh, that's on iTunes and Stitcher and all of the other places where you can find podcasts, as is Girl in Space. Um, it's not one word. It's three words, Girl in Space. And uh, you can tell that you found the right one because it will have this beautiful pink and purple galaxy uh, in the background as the image. And it'll say Girl in Space. Uh, that's my show. There's currently nine episodes. I'm working on episode 10 this afternoon. And uh, yeah, so come find me. Oh, I'm also on I'm also on Twitter, Sarah Ray Werner, S-A-R-A-H-R-H-E-A-W-E-R-N-E-R. And then Girl in Space Pod. And right now, I don't know if it's right now podcast or right now pod, but you'll find me. They've only just got to start typing that in and they'll find it, won't they? That's yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Cool. I don't know. It's like a picture of me smiling like I enjoy <laughs> writing or something. I don't know. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, Sarah, thank you so much again for your time. It's been great well, to talk Andrew, to you. you. It's been a delight <laughs> to speak with you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sarah. Well, thank Cheers. you. Enjoy the rest of your evening. And you. <laughs> <laughs> Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.